and welcome to Property Matters, a weekly look at all matters property supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. You can find this property show live every Sunday on propertymatterstv.co.uk or by searching Property Matters TV in YouTube or Facebook. And whenever and wherever you're enjoying us, we'd love you to get involved in the show, please, in the comments section. And if you'd like to email us, it's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also a podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts from, you'll find us there. And you can get the new episode after each Sunday on the live show on a Monday at 10 a.m. So what are the big stories of the week? Let's find out with Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Morning, everybody. Morning. Yeah, the months seem to fly by, Paul. Here we are, or, 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 almost through another uh, end of the summer coming up. Coming up, but uh, Property Matters is uh, always there, week in, week out, to make sure that we bring the uh, the latest news and um, and reviews. Indeed, and let's just have a look at that right now. Rental supply continues to fall across the capital as landlords exit the brighter let market. And that's really the theme of this particular uh, article for us this week is it's about landlords and buy to let. And indeed, that's a theme that runs through this whole show. So the widening supply and demand imbalance in London continues to place upward pressure on rental values, say Foxton's in the city. Rents are up 23% year-to-date compared with the same period last year. Central London produced the highest average weekly rent year-to-date at £627 a week. Now, that's a 33% increase on 2021. And they say that supply continues to be unseasonably low, with new listings down 21% on a year. So it's a perfect storm, really, isn't it, Joe? You've got rents rising because there's not a lot of stock on the market, and you've also got the thought, the thought that actually landlords are saying, you know, with all these changes coming on, I think I'm going to sell up. So, and as we'll see through the programme, that becomes a theme. But £627 a week now, that's a lot of rent. Well, it's just not the rent part of it, Paul, that they've got to consider. Obviously, you know, as you know, um, utilities have gone, gone through the roof as well. Um, so, I mean, when you look at the figures in maybe another month's time, two months' time, you'll see that... Uh, the combination is actually uh, more than a, a storm in a teacup here now that's brewing. So, yeah, I mean, uh, rents are are, are increasing. Uh, the demand for rental is, is particularly high. Um, and, of course, the supply has become somewhat limited. And part of that is due to the time that it's taken for, you know, with the pandemic. And then, of course, the combination of what's happening in, in our government and, and the uncertainty is creating and also various other um, regulations and rules that have been changing within the rental market, um, Section 21, etc. So all of these things have actually bring, brought, should I say, lots of things to a head in terms of what is the right thing. Obviously, from a, an agent's point of view, my suggestion will always be that, uh, you know, we will go through these storms and ultimately rental or property investment is still going to be um, high on the agenda. But yes, it certainly makes people stop and think. And also it's about the people that are involved in it, isn't it, really? Um, age group and time and certain times in their lives as to where they want to. And I've always, always said that there are people at a certain time in life, age in life, who don't particularly want to be involved in leaky taps and situations like that. And so this, this only um, expedites their thought process as to whether they want to stay into the rental market or whether they want to go into other things. 
Yes, if we look at uh, the graph that we have on the screen, for the benefit of those on the podcast, this is a combination or, or comparison, should I say, between uh, supply and demand. So this is new instructions year on year in 2022 and new renter registrations. So supply in London was down 21%, but registrations were up 21%. And if you look at the South, for example, it was down 8% for new instructions, 40% demand increase on new renters. The West, even more dramatic, down 22% and up 43% on new renters' registrations. And of course, with mortgage rates climbing and, and, and inevitably you know, more first-time buyers finding the carrot going further in front of them, there's going to be inevitably more and more renters, aren't there, Joe? Well, yes, as I said, combination of, of uh, the mortgage rate rise um, definitely um, is going to slow up and, and make, making mortgages a little bit more challenging to get uh, for the first time buyers and, and, and even investors, even buyers to let. Uh, even though some, you know, Bob was here, will probably give us an update on, on the, the fixed rates, etc. that are available. But generally speaking, it is, it is getting a little bit challenging um, in terms of, uh, you know, the mortgage side of things. And um, the demand, the demand because they can't buy, of course, that whole pressure falls on the rental market. Um, and people think, okay, well, I can't afford to buy now, or, or I, I have to think about how much I need to save, or the rate may not be right, or their, their, their own career position may not be correct. They will actually start to say, okay, well, I'll go and rent now for maybe another 12 months a year, and then you know, adjust um, my, my plan accordingly. More and more people are reporting that landlords are divesting their portfolios and leaving the PRS, private rented sector, due to the increase in regulation and rules. I mean, if you think about it, mortgage interest relief changes have happened. The scrapping of the wear and tear allowance, the introduction of a 3% stamp duty surcharge has hit landlords' profits over the last few years. And that partly explains why so many of them are exiting the buy-to-let market. Um, and that's, of course, reducing the supply of much-needed rented stock. On the other hand, um, the, the reduce the reduction of supply of the rental market and rental stock is actually increasing the rental income, um, and so there potentially could be some compensation in all the costs that are now being actually added on, including the stamp duty and, of course, the abolition of the um, wear and tear tax, etc. Um, but that's not to say that that's the right way. I mean, the whole the whole world is is gone a bit mad at the moment with everything just going up when strikes um, and the combination of that is only going to be paid by the man in the street the layman who has to have a roof over their head food on the on the on the plate and um, and and that's where it, it actually ends but even those people have come to a point where if they're not earning enough they're having to rethink their whole strategy so we are in a bit of a, a, a turmoil whereas I would classify going into neutral um, not knowing which way is the right way. So we'll park up and, and stop and rethink and adjust accordingly, um, depending on which way it is. But the rental market is definitely getting stronger in demand for, for people to rent. Um, and of course, it's, that's exacerbated by the fact that not enough people are buying as buy-to-lets or cannot buy-to-let um, to, to make that. The other part of it, of course, is we, we've covered that on, on a number of our programs, is the, the forthcoming sort of EPC rating. Um, and so some of the properties that are requiring updating are, people, are, are the ones that people are sort of saying, well, either I'm going to dump and get out and let somebody else have the hassle, 
or am I going to, you know, invest into this and will I get the return? And when you look at the whole combination of all the taxation rules, sometimes it's not as appealing to, re to, to refurbish them. It's almost better to sort of pass the buck on to the new owners. At least for the next 5, 10, 15 years, they will have an investment. Whereas some of our people that are now in those property are probably at the end of their journey. They may be at an age or a time where they think, well, actually, I don't particularly want to invest in this. There isn't any benefit in keeping this. And maybe it's time for me to sell and get out. So we're at that sort of crossroads, really, as to which way people are going to start to think. And some of these things that are happening in the marketplace are actually probably making them stop and think about which, which is the right direction for them. It's certainly a very dynamic time, that's for sure. And we've talked about the number of buyers going for properties in the sales market, but think about the renters for a second. 28 renters competing for every new property in London in July. It's an increase of 27% in a month. And if you go to East London, which is a traditional place for professionals, banking industry, that kind of thing, uh, the increase is 38 renters per property. So it really is dog eat dog out there. Uh, rental budgets continue to increase to keep a pace with re increased rent prices. Budgets reach £500 a week in July, a 2% increase on the month of June and 8% on the year. So it's now £627 in certain parts of London, but even higher if you go into sort of uh, certain popular uh, professional areas. Yes, I mean, again, you know, after the pandemic, uh, first of all, during the pandemic, we reported that London was almost the no-go zone and everywhere else was the go zone. Um, and we said at that time that it's only a matter of time when that role reverses. And here we are, where people are, are back in the city, back into their offices, be it maybe two or three times a, a week. Um, but that, that drive, that enthusiasm of wanting to be back in a, a corporate situation is me means that people are moving back into London. Um, and there hasn't been, because of that period of, of the pandemic, there hadn't been as much activity in London. Um, and so not as many were buying and not as many was being built. And subsequently, that, that supply and demand um, situation has now um, risen its a, a little head. And, and, um, and so, yes, a lot of people are looking at um places like canary wharf and so forth but you know th th there is some sometimes there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with things like that and the fortunate thing is that after a long-awaited elizabeth line which uh, and finally uh, came came to 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 clarity um as of i think this week it is now connected completely to canary wharf and that allows those people to con perhaps consider moving further out by but being connected uh, two places like Canary Wharf, which which was just an impossible task before. So sometimes things are timely, but yes, the, the, the underlining discussion here is that there is a shortage of property in London itself, especially in, in, in North London and uh, in areas where the office market is strong um, and the supply is somewhat limited. Uh, this piece uh, from earlier in the week, uh, the attraction of buy-to-let, I think it's pretty much widely reported, waning for many institutional and individual uh, investors. They're no longer looking at housing as a solid term of uh, a savings, a long-term savings fund route. They're looking at multi-use buildings, which is an interesting one, and I wanted to touch on that with you now. They're moving away from buy-to-let to go to multi-use because 
entry costs are lower with a reduced rate of stamp duty, very tax efficient during ownership, and it's a lower level of capital gains when you look to sell the property. So there are also inheritance tax benefits as well. So what exactly is multi-use, Joe? Well, multi-use is a combination of uh, commercial and residential, uh, where they might have a retail unit or a unit downstairs and potentially some sort of uh, flat above, you know, um, that, that is the multi-use or another combination, not necessarily retail, but any commercial aspect that will combine it into a residential. Um, and some of that is really popular uh, and, it, and it used to be extremely popular in, in high streets up and down the country. But high streets have been decimated by outer shopping facilities um, and higher rates and, and all sorts of other things. So many of the high streets have pretty much lost their love and it's it's part of that that's probably coming back in and maybe that's where the the tax efficiency is beginning to come in because they want to drive some of that investment back into high streets or into what we call secondary um, locations in the towns um, anywhere. I mean, you know, so the combination is, is the combination of commercial and residential that is attractive. Now, there's a, there are good things in that and there are, are cautious things. The good things are that obviously a commercial tenant is normally seen to be there for a lot longer and probably less headache because they're running a business. But if the business doesn't become successful, that onus falls back on the landlord to, to maintain the, the property and also continue to pay the rates, etc. Um, and the, the, the residential is, is, is a case of what, you, what funding you can get. Now, funding is a key thing with that. Um, and sometimes you're, you're buying a, 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 a commercial downstairs and a residential upstairs. But if a commercial downstairs has a cooking and food element or a bar or some other element to it, the lenders are not particularly favorable to lend money on those. So whilst from a tax point of view, they might be really efficient, from a sale point of view and funding point of view, they're not as, as attractive. Um, so it's really important to understand exactly what that is. And it's not for everybody. Not everyone is a good commercial landlord. And buy to let is probably something that is similar to having your own home and you can understand it and relate to it. But when you get into commercial, it's also, I mean, if you are a long-term avid commercial landlord, you'd understand it. But new ones need to be careful as to what they actually buy into. And of course, you know, take good advice and good guidance um, and in order to make sure that they, they, they are doing the right thing. There does seem some wisdom in this because you know we're talking about the death of the high street and we've talked on this show about the uh, investment in the high street and, and bringing people into the high street so a living area and you see these new plans coming in um, seeing them in, 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 in my local town in Guildford they're bringing in residential along with shops and again in a multi-use kind of environment to, to try and breathe life into the town so it would be good if there was investors keen to take that on and, and I take your point about the fact that they need to know a little bit more about the professional side of that um, they talk about the, the landlords are talking about the suggestion that actually VAT rating on the buildings might be needed to be reviewed particularly when under construction so they can speed up the regeneration and conversion of these places to make these new high streets so suggesting a five percent VAT rating could be um, what's needed and, and extended from because it's currently only on listed and heritage buildings um, so to give this kind of regeneration and community type assessment model it would be good to be able to have a five percent VAT rating to to speed up the development. I think Paul in any 
event, any de development, be it in the high street or not, um, to, pro to speed up the process. Um, whatever incentives that can be given by the government or, or, or the local council, for example, are only a good thing because the sooner things are done, the quicker the area becomes more um, livable, more acceptable, there's more bars, high street becomes more of a high street, um, and more, more of the um, businesses can start to take occupation. So it might be only a short-term break, but a long-term gain. So most people that take on a lease on a high street premises will probably be taking on any business that will take probably three to four years to, to develop from, from scratch. So they're certainly looking at five to 10 year commitment, which is probably a lot different to a residential, which might be 12 months, six months, 12 months, 18 months, maybe two years. So a commercial tenant is gonna be taking on a much, much longer commitment. Um, and of course, they, they've got more investment in it because they're putting all their uh, energy into running a business and developing it and the councils and the government can only should only see this as a good thing and, and actually offer um, reduced times the problem with all these taxations is in my on my opinion is that you know it, it's it's the same pot same amount it's just about how you're going to divvy it up and then find that you know someone somewhere else is going to gain and the other one is going to lose out and and that's the problem that we have at this moment in time I mean, the high streets you know, have just become a, a death in every, pretty much in every town. But yes, there are combinations of residential and commercial aspects. And when they are successful, they are really successful and they show that they can be successful. Um, but it has to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a game of two halves. You've got both got to come into this, both the government and local council. And of course, the developers have got to come into this in order to make that happen. Otherwise, what you do is you get a developer who has developed a nice um, uh, site, but is lying vacant and empty downstairs because the rates are too high and there's no tax breaks. and no So tenants don't, don't want to take a long lease. So, you know, never the twain shall meet. It is, it is a difficult one to do. But if they work together, which is unfortunately they don't, uh, they normally are behind or ahead of each other always the case never 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 a case of like let's sit down and discuss this you know a chancellor at the moment will probably which we don't know who, who even even stands to cover that this precise moment will turn around and say oh we'll do this and he'll put, come in after a developer would say i'd like to do this but if i don't get this i'm not going to do that so what i'm saying is if, if they actually sat down and said right this is our target in the next five years all developments are going to get you know a, a tax break get on with it because if you don't you're going to get you're going to lose this then the chances are we might actually get somewhere and put some you know pedal pressure to the pedal sort of thing but it's always after it's never never together and and um, and that's why we have this disparity all the time if a number of and i would have thought it would be mainly institutional landlords do go into this multi-use facility type building What's going to happen to the private rented sector with less landlords and presumably those properties may well have been snapped up by first time buyers, which does mean less rental stock. So what do you think the future is for, for, for the PRS? I don't think the future is particularly bleak. Um, you will probably find that there are a lot of institutional landlords that are coming into the marketplace as well. Um, and, and have done on the quiet. They're not made, they maybe made as much of a splash as they'd like to do. But, you know, when you look at this exact subject that we're talking about, the combination of commercial and residential, 
there are major, major, major uh, commercial people who own a chunk of um, land, a chunk of properties, who are now building or, or expanding above their own stores, um, and so are going to maintain those residential uh, properties as part of their uh, letting portfolio. So it's not particularly all bad news. To give you an example, some of the major food stores, if you, if you look around in the high streets or look around in the outer shopping centers when you drive around, you will find that they have got enormous space, probably sometimes more space than they actually need. Um, and now they're rethinking, whereas previously they may have thought, well, actually, I'll tell you what we'll do is we'll, we'll sell this and let a developer come in and build this and we'll move. Now what they're saying is, you know what, we'll keep the store downstairs and maybe it's the tax breaks that makes them interested in that. We'll keep the store downstairs and we'll develop above our store residential, um, which gives the chance for not only the people that work in those stores to perhaps rent, but also new renters coming in. Of course, those new renters are great new shoppers. They're customers for those stores downstairs. Um, so it's a very clever thought. But so while private individuals may choose to come out of the PRS because it becomes tax, uh, uh, tax from a tax point of view, unviable uh, and perhaps other costs, the major institutions are actually thinking, well, actually, this is our window of opportunity. And those people aren't going to be doing one or two flats here, Paul. They're going to be looking to do probably 100, 200 apartments, you know, above their store or around their stores. Um, and that's going to bring a lot of footfall, a lot of people that are actually going to move into, um, into those and build up those high streets, build up those shopping facilities and create the traffic and the buzz that is required to regenerate those shopping areas. Nearly three in 10, 28% of landlords plan to issue a Section 21 notice in the next 12 to 18 months. You can see there's a theme here developing, Joe. Uh, when the ban comes into force, this is new survey by Landlord Action. A majority, 42%, said the reason is based on concerns that they will be unable to gain possession easily in the future. And 24% attributed their decision to increasing legislation uh, basically driving their decision to sell up. This is uh, Paul Champlina, who's the Landlord Action and Chief Commercial Officer for Hamilton Fraser Group. The response to our latest survey paints a very clear picture of unintended consequences of abolishing Section 21, which of course so many landlords are, are, are frightened of. But uh, it's uh, quite uh, daunting to see that one in three landlords expecting to issue a Section 21 in the next 18 months. Yes, this is this is a story. I mean, I, I'm 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 very much um, optimistic that this this story will go away. It cannot continue. It is absolutely uh, a ridiculous um, thing to do. I've always felt that this Section Twenty One could actually have a Section Twenty One A as opposed to a complete abolition of the Section Twenty One, um, and it is the abolition of the Section Twenty One that is giving fright to a lot of landlords because. They may have, at the moment, um, tenants that they don't particularly want in there and under the Section 21, they can serve the notice and get them out and have the chance to have a vacant property and start all over again. Um, that is a little bit um, of, a, of a, a, a massive sort of, you know, a sledgehammer. Uh, Section 21 um, could have a Section 21A, as far as I'm concerned, where they could add certain aspects that would make it a little bit more fairer rather than abolishing it and then finding that. So the government actually needs to, whenever they get their act together, 
need to sort that out rapidly because they are then going to be again the sufferers of this because all these properties that are got section 21 that are going to be served get them out vacate them means that the land the government will have pressure on their hands to house all those people that are actually going to be kicked out um and um and some of those and most of those tenants i would say to you are probably government tenants they are tenant local authority tenants who have become unsavory characters during that time and the landlords have decided that this is their only window of opportunity to now get them out under the section 21 uh, ruling before it becomes abolished and the people that will suffer the most out of it are the local authorities because they are then going to have to rehouse those people in properties that they actually haven't got and they want to then talk to new tenants sorry new landlords to go and invest to buy but landlords are shrewd enough they'll just say well actually why should i take somebody else's problem um, i'd rather not rent to a local authority tenant or a housing association tenant um, it just carries its own little you know um tainted story about tenants that might be there now not everybody is a bad person but it only takes one to make everybody else look bad doesn't it and that's that's the problem it's one bad uh, rotten apple that makes the whole box the same and so what happens here is that the, a lot of the landlords that are looking to get out of here are, are out of the section 21 and get people out between now and whenever it becomes um actual law um i, I think you know the, the best thing that can happen for it is it's the whole thing should be parked um We've not got a, a, a decent housing minister. We haven't got a leveling up man. We haven't got we haven't got anybody to be perfectly honest with you, right now. They're all on holiday, all sitting somewhere on someone's yacht, having a great time. Um, and um, I think the the reality of it is that once they get their act together, this particular thing should be knocked out. And I wouldn't be too surprised. In fact, you hear it here first. I wouldn't be too surprised if it gets knocked completely out because I think it's a complete needs a re rethink altogether. Um, otherwise, they're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of tenants at their doorstep looking for new homes. Yeah, you can understand their frustration because there's no. I think the problem is there's been no uh, clear uh, announcement of what exactly is going to happen. So people are fearing the worst. I mean, the most common reasons that landlords give for the serving of these notices is that arrears, thirty-one percent; landlords selling for their property, twenty-six percent, which is quite high; and antisocial behaviour, twenty-two percent. 34% of landlords have already served the Section 21 on their tenants. Uh, and you can see why they might be doing that, because they don't know what the rules are going to be. They might have had a, a few brushes with the tenant, but they've kind of put up with it because they know they've got that in their armoury if they need it. But they're thinking, do you know what, I'd rather, when the law comes in, have a clean bill of health for the property, have it empty, perhaps even, take the hit on that, and then rent to a, a, a type of tenant that I want when I know what the rules are. The process is so bizarre, Paul, in all honesty. And it's been, it has it been a bit of a nightmare and, and a bit of a thorn in most landlords' sight. So just to give you an indication, um, if you are a local authority tenant um, and you have uh, become an antisocial person and you've created problems for a landlord, and the landlord serves the Section 21 to say, okay, you know, we're not getting on, time to go up. They go to the local authority. The local authority says, you stay where you are because we haven't got anywhere for you to go. So then a process starts where the landlord has an expensive exercise of actually taking that uh, tenant to court 
providing all the information, spending all the money in court to get an eviction order. And it's only when they get an eviction order are the council then at liberty to then rehouse. Now, in that period, that tenant may choose not to pay the rent. Um, and so not only is there a cost because they've got to kick them out, they're also not paying the rent because they feel that they're being unfairly treated. So to hell with the landlord, I'm not going to pay you the rent. Now, most councils, some councils now obviously realize that but most councils in their wisdom thought it was good to pay the tenant the, the money and most tenants then go and blow it up on you know, things that perhaps mm. we don't even think about. And they say, we haven't got the money. They don't pay the landlord. The landlord wants them out. The, the council says, you stay where you are, because until you get an eviction order, theoretically, you are not homeless. And you only become homeless when you're... So, you know, these these situations don't help themselves. And the, and, and the biggest troublemakers in this are the council themselves. First, they beg you to take the tenant, and then they basically keep them in there because they haven't got an alternative to do, uh, to send them to. And I'm not surprised that landlords are protecting themselves by serving Section 21 notices, because now in this hay wild um, decision to abolish Section 21 says that they could end up having this person in their property forever and a day and spend their life. It's not a deal. It's not it's not an investment. It's not what works right. So. I'm not surprised, but I am hoping and hopeful that somebody wakes up and smells the coffee and gets rid of this idea of abolishing it and maybe add a, a section to it to say that these are now added to certain other clauses should be added. But the landlord should have the right to serve a Section 21 notice for this and obviously may have to prove that certain things have to happen. But to actually say, let's just get rid of it because it doesn't make sense that the guy can stay in there forever we will end up having a lot of people that will come out of the buy to let market um, and it won't be very it won't be good fun for anybody yeah it's not good for fun for the investor it's not going to be good fun for the tenant who may not really want to leave and most of all it's not going to be a good thing for the local council because it's probably one of their tenants that they're going to have to rehouse somewhere else and they haven't got the accommodation because guess what they haven't been building enough or they've taken the money for their section 106 as opposed to taking the properties because they'd rather have the money to go and fix the roads or something else, you know, and then, then take the properties. Because every development in a town has a certain number of properties. If they're over a certain threshold, they've got to give a, a, a housing association a certain number of those as a, as a payback. So some councils say, okay, well, we won't take the uh, number of units as a payback. We'll just take a monetary contribution. Or developers would love to give a monetary contribution because they don't particularly want to have to give it to social housing um, because it actually some it does two things it actually maybe slightly devalues their main um, development and also means that they end up having to have people in there they don't particularly want so they'd rather pay them but the council they don't invest that somewhere else they invest it in other things as opposed to other homes Yes, it's interesting also the fact that uh, with 26% of landlords selling up, 
we don't know whether those or what proportion of those properties are going to stay as buy-to-let properties. A lot of them will be bought by first-time buyers. But one thing we do know, of course, is that that's not going to be good news in any way, shape or form for those renting because it's going to mean less stock and that means rent rises. So uh, we will keep an eye on that story uh, with interest, Joe. Um, and then lastly, as we're on a landlord theme today, landlords looking to get into holiday lets should consider investing in the seaside. And in particular, in this particular story, Worthing in Sussex, according to Revolution Brokers. Uh, in the town, investors can expect an average rental income of £1,530 a month, which is 72.3% higher than regular rental properties outside of the coast. Um, Porth Call in South Wales, also, um, uh, sorry, Porth Call in the South or Wales also ranks highly with uh, holiday let rental prices with a premium of 70%, followed by Clondadno uh, in North Wales and the Peak District and South Sea in Hampshire with a premium of 44.3%. So is there some wisdom of getting into holiday lets, do you think, Joe? I think the headline um, numbers there are amazing. Um, but I think when you actually break it down to reality, they're not going to be as exciting as the, these higher rents that they're talking about. Don't forget, when you're doing holiday lets, there is a completely uh, different uh, expenditure that is there. It's a daily expenditure. And also there's a, a much, much bigger void period in certain areas. So let's take Worthing, for example, as we as we talk about Worthing on, on, on the on the screen and, and, and we're talking about Worthing as a, an area that could be a great return. It's a seasonal thing. I mean, you know, holiday lets are not going to be particularly exciting come October, November, December, possibly January into February. So half the year is really not going to particularly happen. I mean, you know, it's going to be cold. Uh, it's nice. You can might, might like the the winter breeze in your hair or something like that. But ultimately, it is not going to be as exciting to be there at the beach um, at, at that given time. So you are limiting your time from 12 months to a year. Um, and then you've got to think about the cost of maintaining that. And the cost of maintaining that is that basically, you know, you've got to have a turnaround period on buy to let, on to buy to let or holiday lets. People might go in there for a week. Somebody's got to go in there, change the, the bed sheet, hoover up, clean up, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. And that's another cost that becomes a regular cost that you've got to do. So actually, I think the reality is that when you boil it down to real figures, it's not particularly going to be that exciting. Though I think it's nice, it's a good attraction to say, look, come over to Worthing and invest your money here because this is going to give you a great return. The distance in terms of the travel is also a great killer for people. Um, and if you are going to rent a property as a holiday let, unless you are nearby to be able to manage it, you are really going to end up having to put that whole thing in the hands of someone else. Um, and I, I, I speak to people that have got holiday lets and so forth. And, you know, it's good whilst they've got a, a, a person locally that goes and you know, changes the bed sheet, cleans it, hoovers it, does all the sort of thing. But the minute that person goes, they've got to actually find someone else. And that might be that they might not find the right person, so they've got to travel. So imagine yourself in Guildford having to go to Worthing every other week to change someone's bed sheets, Paul. Um, you know, it soon becomes an expensive exercise. Your car will get wear and tear. You're going to get lots of uh, juice going through there. And after probably the first time, the novelty, second time you go, bugger it, I'll sell it. I'm not going to go there again. 
Um, and, and in fact, it become a, a bad holiday spot for you because you just think, oh, I'm not going to go to Worthing again. I've had a bad experience. So, you know, you really need to, to think about it. But I think the headline numbers are, are really good. I'm probably a bit more realistic about these things. And that's probably why I do what I do and, 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 and speak from the heart. But I have spoken to people and I, I think you've got to live pretty much there to be able to manage that holiday let if that's what you're going to do. But if you're thinking of being in, in uh, Canary Wharf and having about four holiday lets scattered around various coastlines, you will spend your life on trains, buses and aeroplanes or whatever else that goes around. Ever the sage advice, Joe. Thank you so much. And thank you for uh, joining us for Property Matters this week, of course. Thank you to watching or listening wherever you're uh, consuming our podcast this week. Thank you very much for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back again next Sunday, same time.